I don't know whether you caught it or not, but I, I love that scripture passage that was read just a few moments ago in Proverbs uh, chapter 20, when the statement in verse 29 said, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of an old man is their gray hair. So I hope you caught that, that my hair is white. I wonder if that still classifies as, as gray and everything. So uh, that's good that they make notice of that because not very many other things are very splendored uh, on an old man when he gets uh, older in age and struggles to get around. Uh, uh, like Carabo said, uh, my name is Julian. Some people call me Junior. Uh, probably the majority of folks do. And, and I am from Tennessee. Uh, in the U.S. and uh, Christy, my wife, is here with me and it's been 20, uh, 27 years that we have been married and we have two children, Zeke, who is 24, and Emma, who is 20, she'll be 21 in December 5th. And uh, so we're thankful to the Lord for both of them. Uh, we've been coming to South Africa for, uh, since 2002 we make at least one trip uh, uh, every year. There's been a year or two that we didn't, but, uh, but we're thankful for the opportunity to come and, and be a part uh, with the hopes that in the future uh, that we have made preparations, we have sold uh, all of our possessions and we're making plans to move this side uh, uh, in the near future, we hope. Uh, but this morning, I wanna take the, the time to, to read to you and to hopefully uh, teach to you a, a passage of scripture. And in the US, uh, one of the things that happens when a person begins a new job is they're given the requirements of that job. They're saying that you must meet these minimum requirements in order to keep this job. And so the same is true, I think, that uh, the principles that God gives us in his word so many times that uh, many believers struggle with what is it that God wants from me? What is it that is it God desires for me to be? And so this morning I want to take you to a passage of scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And I hope that, uh, uh, that my accent, uh, uh, I've prayed for the Lord to, to make my accent uh, uh, clear this morning, but I know that some people struggle uh, with Southern English uh, and everything. So we're hopefully that, that that's not going to be a challenge this morning. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, I want to title this message this morning, What Does God Expect of Believers? What does God expect of us as believers, uh, as children of God? And I think that that God makes clear in the book of Deuteronomy what he desired for the, the people of Israel uh, to be uh, about. And I think those same principles can carry forth from the Old Testament to us uh, living today in the 21st century uh, as a new part of the New Testament church. So I, I think that we can still apply these principles of what God requires. But what does God expect of us as believers? In Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to look at two verses, verses 12 and 13. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. If you'll follow along with me, hopefully you brought your Bible or you have your Bible on your phone or on a tablet or some device. But in Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, it says, And now, O Israel... 
What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you will bless the reading of your word. Lord, we know that your word promises that when your word is proclaimed, that it will not return void, but it will accomplish that for which it was set forth to do. And so, Lord, open our hearts and our minds and our ears and help us to be receptive to what you have to say to us this morning. Amen. The first thing, the first requirement that I think that God gave the children of Israel that is evident for us today is that we should fear the Lord your God. And I want you to look with me there, to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Now, when we think of the word fear, we think that we have seen something in the dark or that we have heard something that has alarmed us and that we are scared for our lives or for our safety. But the fear of the Lord here, I think, carries a much greater impact. To fear the Lord is to reverence Him. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, I want us to, to, to scan over to that portion. You can keep your finger there or keep your mark there at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Uh, but I want to set the, the foundation or the groundwork of what it means to fear the Lord. Because I think uh, that is missing in our world today is that people don't really fear the Lord. They see the Lord as somebody that is their equal or that somebody that they can manipulate. But the Lord, the God of all creation, is someone that we cannot manipulate. He is someone that is above us, greatly above us. But notice in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So notice that what he says is that the life of a man or a woman should first be about the fear of the Lord because it's the beginning of knowledge. We become wise based upon our fear and reverence of the Lord. A great picture of that in the Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, if you want to turn over to there, Isaiah chapter 6 as I read there, and I want you to, uh, to, to imagine that you are Isaiah and that you are in the same presence that Isaiah is here this morning in this text that we'll be reading uh, because I think this portrays a great picture because Isaiah was probably the most holy person at this point in time in all of Israel. So if you wanted to compare yourself to where I think that I am a godly person, Isaiah would be that standard, if you will. So you can imagine Isaiah being the most holy person that was alive in Israel. And look what happens to Isaiah when he sees the image of God. In verse 1, it says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with the two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now can you imagine the presence, being in the presence of that? But now look at what Isaiah says, that even uh, the, the, the holiness or the, the godliness of Isaiah, notice that when he was in the presence of God, what was the thing that he said? Did he give God a high five and say that, hey, you're just like me, God? No, what he did was notice what he said. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. So you see the measured of standard of anybody that thinks that they are a godly person, that thinks that there is no sin within my life that, that hinders me from my relationship with God. We are just like Isaiah. We're, to, we're just in that position to say, woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what we're seeing here is the fear of the Lord is to recognize that he is such a greater being than we can ever imagine. Is that he is a being that, that is much greater than all the earth. He is a, a being that is greater than the universe or all that we can imagine. And we should stand in his presence in all humility because of his graciousness that's been showered down upon us. Another example of this, I think, is at, at the end of time when the Lord shall return and we will be judged according to our deeds. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, I think is another picture in which the, the word of God gives us at, at the magnitude of how great God and his son Jesus Christ is. In Revelation chapter 20, I want us to see again uh, the magnitude or the majesty of God. In Revelation 20 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. And from, the, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. In verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of the fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And then verse 15, the most sobering statement that the Word of God tells us today. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the fear of the Lord is to recognize him as being the controller of all. And if we were to break that down, it's a, and it's a reverence of God. It's God's holiness and his justice that that he uh, exemplifies to us. And then we're also to recognize that in fearing God, we are to be like what God desires for us to be. And one of the things is, is that we are to have a hatred for sin that is the same as he hates sin. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, I'll give you a moment to, to turn there in Hebrews 12. 
because we're going to look at how much that God hates sin. And part of the fear of God is that we're to have that same hatred for sin. We're to have that same consciousness about everything that we do and everything that we're about. How does that affect my relationship with Almighty God? We are to have concern and question about that is to say, before I do this, how will this affect God in my relationship with Him? But then God tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, about the discipline that He gives uh, His children uh, on, their, uh, on the basis of their disobedience uh, if we are truly His child. In Hebrews chapter 12 and beginning in verse 5, it says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom receives. So we know if you, we see here that, that God hates sin in such a way that he will discipline us as his children in order to, to reconcile us back with him in order for us to restore that relationship is that he wants that relationship uh, to be uh, consistent and meaningful in all of our lives. And probably the greatest thing in which we uh, should be a part of fearing the Lord is that he keeps us. In Romans 8 and 38 and 39, it talks about uh, the keeping power of, of God, that when we are his child, that we are uh, saved eternally that there is nothing that can take us away. There's nothing that can rob it uh, from us. There's nothing that can pluck us out of the hand of God. But because notice in Romans 8, 38 and 39, when Paul is telling the Romans there, he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in this walk of life, we may have something stolen from us. We may have someone that breaks into our home or our car and they take something that is ours. But the one thing that can never be stolen from us as God's children is the salvation that he gives us, that we are eternally secure. We're sealed by God. So we're to fear God because of all the things that he does for us, by who he is, uh, by how much that he hates sin, and then also that he keeps us as our children. Now, let's go back, if you will, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 10. The, the first uh, uh, requirement that God gave us was to fear the Lord your God. The second thing is to walk in his ways. The second, the walk in his ways. Now, what we mean by that is that God has established us a pattern to follow. When I was a child, I remember that when I was growing up, my mother, she made all the dresses and the clothes in our house. And she would go to the, the shop and she would buy a pattern. And that pattern would be folded up in this nice little envelope. And she would bring it home and she would buy some uh, cloth and material and she would spread it out all over the table and she would take that pattern and she would pin it to that cloth. And then she would take her scissors and cut that pattern out. 
and then sew it together to make that, that garment. And so the same is true for what the Word of God does for us as Christians. He gives us a pattern to follow. Uh, one of the other interesting things about sometimes in the States, uh, we get snow. Uh, and in 1992, uh, where we live, uh, there was a snowstorm they called the blizzard of 1992. The most snow that we had ever saw uh, in our lives. Uh, the snow was so deep that it was above my waist. And so it was a struggle. The power went out. Uh, there was no water, no electricity uh, for about three days. And so people would gather in homes that had a wood-burning fireplace and they would try to stay warm until the snow would be melted away. Uh, but one of the things that I remember is that during that snowstorm when I was trying to get all of our family uh, up into my dad's and mom's place is that uh, I took my grandmother who was about 80 years of age in her late 70s or early 80s and I put her on my back and I walked through that snow and then how the other folks would walk was they would walk behind me in my footsteps and that would make things easier you know the all the 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 stress and the struggle would be on me but the people behind me would just follow along in that path because the path had been laid out before them the same thing is what God does for us is he gives us a pattern to follow that's the Old Testament especially is just full of things that uh, that gives us pictures of what we're to avoid or what we're to uh, to take on and so uh, I'm so thankful for the Old Testament that that gives us these things that brings about these pictures of of what disobedience brings uh, you know disobedience brings uh, consequences with it you know we can always receive forgiveness but that disobedience will always have consequences with it. Uh, we, uh, and so we want to make sure that, that we walk in his ways so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of disobedience. Uh, another interesting thing about this text is that uh, a, a previous chapter uh, before chapter 10 was in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in that chapter, I found it interesting that what God was telling them at this point in time, how important it was about walking in his ways is to teach the next generation. If you want to turn back a couple of pages in your Bible there in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 6 through 9, the word of God gives us some additional instructions about walking in his ways and how important it is, is as we walk through our ways that we teach the next generation about those same things in Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 and these words I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and diligent means faithful it is to be something that is regular uh, it is to be the something that is consistent uh, that we don't start today and then quit for a couple of months uh, but it is something that is daily in our everyday activities because look at the rest of verse 7 and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on your doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. So walking the ways of God is more than just uh, being obedient yourself, but to help lead another generation. Uh, in the U.S., uh, one of the things that we have failed as Christians to do is the discipleship process, is that we have failed to, uh, to disciple young believers uh, because there was a time in the U.S. is that, uh, that all that was concerned was evangelism. You know, we just want to see people raise their hand and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But we failed to take it to what the Bible commands us. In Matthew chapter 28, it talks about, Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples, not converts. There's a difference. Disciple is someone that is converted, but he is, he is deepened in his walk with God. And that's what we failed to do in the U.S. And we are reaping the benefits of that uh, today in our culture uh, because we failed to, to do the discipleship process. So walking in his ways, one of the requirements that God has for his people is to be a part of discipling another generation or another person. The third thing that I think the word of God gives us as a principle in order uh, to for believers there is to love him is to love him now one of the things that I've discovered about when two people love each other they always want to be together I can't remember as some of you that uh, that may be uh, have a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or those of you that have been married or are married you can remember the first time that you met your spouse and and uh, when you begin the, that dating or that courtship process, uh, you begin to, to love them and you didn't want to be uh, alone without them. You always wanted to be with them. The same is true here with the Lord, is that he says that if you love me, you want to be with me. You don't want to be distant and far away. Because in the New Testament, uh, Peter gives us an example of what it was like to be away from the Lord. Do you remember when Peter denied Christ? And the, the statement in the New Testament said that, that Peter was afar off. And that was his problem. There was a distance between him and the Lord. And so that made it easier for him to fall into sin because he wasn't with him. And the, the other thing is when you love someone, you want to be with them and you also want to know them better. You want to know them better. What is it that... Uh, that, that they like? What are the foods that they like? What is the music they like? And so the same is true with the Word of God. If we love the Lord, we want to know what His desire is for our lives. We want to read the Word. We want to consume the Word as much as we possibly can. And so we love, when we love someone, we want to be with them and we want to know them better. And you know, the thing about when you love someone, there is never a time in which you dread being with them. You know, sometimes on Sunday morning, uh, things are not going perfect, and we rush around, and we, uh, we rush to get here to the church, and we fail to think about the, uh, the reason why we come to church. We said, well, I've just got to get to church. And sometimes we may have failed to prepare ourselves in the way that we should have, and we sort of dread coming sometimes. Well, we shouldn't have that dread uh, if we uh, love the Lord, that we want to be with them and we want to, to serve them. Uh, one of the unique things about this year's trip of, of my wife and I 
is out of all the trips we've come, this is the first trip that we've ever came by ourselves. Uh, we've either had our children or we've had a team with us. And so I've considered this, or I told my wife we'll consider this our second honeymoon. Uh, you know, because we're here uh, by ourselves and, and uh, we have the freedom that we don't have to, to have a responsibility to, to keep somebody else uh, uh, occupied and busy. And so it's just us. And so uh, I have to say that, uh, that I've, I have renewed that love for my wife by being with her. I know before we left the States, uh, we were, she, my wife was telling friends that when folks were saying, hey, this is going to be the first year uh, you're going by yourself. And my wife said, yes, I may kill him before we get back and everything. So she, she thought that, uh, that her love might not last, you know, with just me and her. So, uh, but it has, and I'm thankful for that. So it's good that we get to be together. But to love someone is desire to be with them. The fourth point that I think that, that the text gives us and, and what does God require of believers is to serve Him. And so how do we serve the Lord? How do we serve God? Well, one of the things that we have at, at our church uh, at Five Stones Fellowship is that the five stones symbolizes five things that we think that are critical uh, to, the, to the church, to the operation of the church. And the, the five stones that are the five pillars that we have that we, that we set aside as being the, uh, the focus of our fellowship is the first stone is the Bible. Uh, the second one is evangelism. The third one is discipleship. And the fourth one is ministry. And the fifth one is service. And what I mean by those two is that how we serve the Lord, first of all, is through ministry and let's think of ministry as inside the church. You know, the things in which we serve the Lord inside the grounds of Central Baptist Church, whether it be an usher or a deacon or an elder or a teacher, or whether it be a, a counselor of, of some more, or whether it be uh, the, the service of refreshments and those. That, that's the ministry aspect of the church. But the other aspect of that in that serving Him is the service outside the walls of the church the things that you do when you're not here at central baptist church uh, the way that we serve the lord outside the walls uh, is more of a mission oriented thing you know how do we uh, present ourselves in the in the supermarket or in the market or in the malls you know can people see that there is a difference about us and so so many folks uh, get get it in their minds that the only time that I am to be a Christian or to behave Christ-like is inside this building. Uh, but it's not. It is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365 days a year is about being a Christian. It's not something that we set aside and then we put back on. It's not like a coat in which we put it on on Sunday and then we take it off when we go home but it is to be a part of our lives. It's to be just like our breathing and eating is a part of our lives. So when we serve the Lord, it's, we can think of service as inside this grounds and then also outside the grounds. That's how we serve the Lord, is by being his instrument to expand the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, the last thing that I want us to look at this morning 
that he says is in verse 13. It says, and keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Now, he gives us a very interesting phrase at the end of this verse, and I, <clears throat> and I want you to notice it there. Why is it that he says for us to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord? He said, for it's your own good that you have. That to keep the commandments and Lord, to keep the commandments of the Lord is for your benefit. It's so that you can be protected and live a life uh, that, uh, that brings joy to yourself and also joy to God. Uh, there's an example or an illustration I like to use when we think about uh, the commandments of the Lord because so many times people see the commandments of God as being a negative thing. You know, they say, oh, I don't go to church because there's all those rules that you can't do this, you can't do that. But I want you to think of them with me this morning from a positive perspective. I want you to imagine with me uh, a fishbowl. I think that we have all uh, know what a fishbowl is, that uh, the bowl and then the fish resides within that bowl. And the fish, when it's inside that bowl, he can swim around, he can eat, uh, he can just do anything he wants to as long as he stays within the confines of that bowl. But what happens if one day he decides that I don't want to live in this bowl anymore. I don't want to live in this bowl where I get fed and I'm protected. I want to leap out and go on my own. What happens to that fish if he jumps out of that water and he flops around on the floor? In a few moments he will die. And why will he die? Because he's left what uh, the confines of his protection. And see, serving the Lord and keeping his commandments is something that, that God doesn't want to take away your joy and your happiness. Is giving you those commandments, is giving you that, uh, those rules that if you obey them, that you will avoid a lot of the heartache of life. You know, some of the things that we experience in life with uh, things about broken homes and uh, uh, disease and those types of things are caused by our disobedience and so we suffer the consequences because we've operated outside the the rules in which God wants us to operate and so when we see the commandments of God that he gives us it's not that he is wanting to uh, to take away our joy but he is wanting to protect us from harm and you know the one thing that I find peace and comfort in today as we bring our time together to a close is that one of the things that, that amazes me about people today is that they think that, that what matters in life is what kind of clothes I wear, what kind of car I drive, or what kind of house I live in. But I want to assure you today that 50 years from now, no one's going to care what kind of car you drove, what kind of clothes you wore, where you went to school, or what kind of job you had. You know, the only thing that's going to matter 50 years from now, or maybe some of you are younger, uh, it may be more like 60 or 70 years, but when we close our eyes in death, the only thing that's going to matter is one decision that we've made in life. Have you ever thought about that? Every day you wake up and you make thousands of decisions. What kind of clothes am I wearing? Am I going to brush my teeth? 
Am I going to comb my hair? Uh, am I, I going to have to stop and get petrol? You know, you make all kinds of decisions. But when you close your eyes in death, the only decision that's going to matter is what I did with my about a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all that's going to matter. And isn't it amazing that we spend our lifetime trying to accumulate and try to be a part of things that will have no lasting value. But there is something that has lasting value that even will continue to be with you after you close your eyes in death. And that's your relationship with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to pray for us. And then I'll uh, turn it back over to whoever is next to be in charge. Our Heavenly Father, how thankful we are for this privilege to be able to stand before your people, the people that you love and that you care about so deeply. And Lord, I just thank you that you've given me this opportunity. I thank you that before time began, you saw me today standing behind this podium speaking your word to your people. And so, Lord, I know that nothing happens by chance, nothing happens by accident, is that all things have a purpose. And so, Lord, I hope that each and every one of us today will understand that our purpose, the thing that you desire most of all for us, Lord, is that we fear you, we walk in your ways, we love you, we serve you, and we keep your commandments. Thank you, Heavenly Father for your blessings upon us this day and for this privilege that we have had. Amen. Amen.